From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Medicine is tough. I mean, medicine would have been fixed a long time ago by technologists if it was just a technology problem. Medicine is not just a technology problem. And it has to do with the ambiguity of medicine. We just don't know. And so how do you create technology tools to handle ambiguity and uncertainty? And so it really takes the involvement of doctors in a company to work with engineers, to work with usability experts, to figure out how to develop technology that's actually impactful for patients. That's Dr. Art Papier, co-founder and CEO at Visual DX, talking about some of the complex challenges facing the healthcare industry and medical practices. We'll hear more from Dr. Papier in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the MGMA Emerald Card, the premier card built specifically for medical practice owners. With 1.5% cash back, paid MGMA dues bonus, no impact on personal credit, and vendor rebates, it's tailor-made to medical practices. So what are you waiting for? Go to about.mgma.cards to get started today. And conditions apply and are subject to approval. Mercantile Financial Technologies is a financial company, not a bank. And these MGMA credit cards are issued by Hatch Bank, pursuant to a license from MasterCard. To review the full cardholder agreement, go to about.mgma.cards terms. Our guest today is Dr. Art Papier, co-founder and CEO at Visual DX. A dermatologist by training, Dr. Papier has a particular interest in the visual and graphical representation of diagnosis and reducing diagnostic error. In line with this goal, he's focused on transforming medical care to include the use of information technology at the time of decision-making. Dr. Papier, thanks so much for joining us today. Really a pleasure to join you, Daniel. Great. Now, looking over your background, you are currently the CEO at Visual DX. Give our listeners a little bit of that background. Who is Visual DX? What do you guys do there? Well, we're a physician-led company that developed technology to improve decisions in the exam room. You know, there's a real need now to... Uh, not think we can memorize everything in medicine, but to use evidence as we work. And it's no longer good enough just to put a, a book online. So we developed this concept of the visualization of medical complexity. So it started as really helping non-dermatologists with dermatologic diagnosis. And that, when I said started, it was 20 years ago. And we didn't name this technology DermDX because we always had the intention to broaden this to any chief complaint and cover medicine widely. So we're really an, an in the exam room tool 
to speed decisions. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. I didn't realize you guys had been around 20 years. Um, talk a little bit about the formation. Were you on there from, from the start or how long have you been with the organization? Yeah. So I, I co-founded the company with Lowell Goldsmith, who uh, was the dean of the medical school at the University of Rochester and chair of dermatology. And, you know, Rochester, New York, home of this uh, company that none of the young people have heard of called Kodak. You know, they made this stuff called film. So if you're <laughs> under 30, you don't know what that is. But um, so we we live in a community where there's expertise in imaging and color science. We have a wonderful medical center. So it's really the merging of medical informatics, imaging, and medicine into a point of care tool. And uh, when we started, we really were a public health informatics company working in bio preparedness. Um, you might remember anthrax was spread in the mail. And our company had a contract with the federal government, with the CDC. We had contracts with state and city health departments. And during the interval since that beginning, we, with the launch of the iPhone in 2008, we were one of the first apps on the iPhone, uh, bringing the technology right into the pocket of a busy practitioner. Uh, we grew the licensing to over 2,300 hospitals and large clinics use Visual DX. Over 100 uh, academic centers use Visual DX, and the entire VA medical system is a subscriber of Visual DX. But then we had this little problem called COVID hit us two or three years ago, and then more recently, monkeypox. But when you really look at what's going on over the last 10, 20 years, you know, we've had diseases that we never had in this country, like West Nile virus. We had Zika virus. It's almost like we forgot about that Zika crisis we had three years ago. We now have polio in New York State. Uh, Dr. Fauci's written an article, a recent article in the New England Journal about emerging and re-emerging infectious disease. Uh, climate change is certainly a contributor. There's probably other contributors to why we're seeing so much infectious disease right now. So our, our company really, um, our, our DNA is infectious disease, um, not only that, but dermatology and other areas of medicine, but there's been a lot of interest in, in what we do for two or three reasons out of the last three years. And the, the three reasons are COVID, monkeypox, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I, I bring that up because, you know, the George Floyd tragedy happened right at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, we were, we are, were and are the only technology really to do the skin presentation of disease equitably. And you, you didn't hear me say dermatology. You heard me say the skin presentation of mm -hmm. disease. Because when people say dermatology, they think psoriasis, acne, warts, skin cancer, they don't think about life-threatening infections or drug reactions appearing on the skin that are really internal diseases that are very serious diseases. And they're not thinking about how those diagnoses can be missed. And so since our inception, we've been very purposeful and deliberate in building an image collection that's equitable. And studies have shown that our image collection is the most equitable digital image collection. And so um, over the last two or three years, 
in addition to all this changes we're seeing because of public health crises, we're seeing this real need to bring equity to medical decision-making. I think what's important for your listeners is thinking about care delivery in the time of great stress. I mean, we know that there are tremendous manpower shortages in hospitals right now. There are not enough nurses. There's also not enough uh, physicians. And so that means that um, everyone, whether it's an MD, a nurse practitioner, or a physician, an assistant, everybody has to be practicing efficiently and smartly to avoid burnout. And I, I think there's nothing more frustrating than being busy and having to hunt and peck to find the right information when you know the information is available, but you don't have it at your fingertips. And so that's what we're really thinking about. What is, what is the cockpit of medicine? Pilots have tools in that cockpit that are purposely designed to fly the plane. And clinicians deserve tools that are designed for flying the plane of medicine. So that's really what we're focused on. And our message really to healthcare administrators in this time of burnout is realize how frustrating it is to be a clinician in this environment, how difficult it is for your clinicians. And so we, we see often among our new clients, them saying, hey, this is, it's been a while since my doctors have thanked me for giving me something. And, and really giving, giving doctors um, a clinically useful tool is so important in the, in the age that we're living in where there's so much stress in, in a clinician's life. I want to go back just a little bit to go back to your healthcare journey and, you know, where you were working as a doctor and then where that kind of, you know, being active and, and being uh, of service to patients kind of evolved into, I'm noticing some gaps here. I, I see that we, we have got to make this easier uh, and more uh, efficient for both the staff and for the patient. Yeah, so I, I had the good fortune. I had an underserved area commitment to New York State following medical school, and I practiced in a rural county where I was the only dermatologist for 60,000 people and a very close-knit rural county where lots of primary care docs. And I noticed right away that it wasn't that the primary care doctors were missing really rare dermatologic disease. They were often missing very common diseases. And, and what happens in medicine is, you know, doctors say common things happen commonly, right? And if, if you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras, right? Don't think of the rare thing first. Think, and, and one of the research really shows that diagnostic delay and diagnostic errors, risk to patients happens more commonly around variation of the common diagnoses rather missing rare diseases. So patients often don't come in like the textbook. And I saw this firsthand in this rural practice where, you know, I was called to the hospital to see a patient that's recently delivered her baby and they were really concerned about something related to pregnancy. And the, the patient had herpes simplex, but instead of being on the lips or the genitals, it was in the middle of her thigh. And so that's a common diagnosis in an unusual location. And it, that was my aha moment that 
variation in presentation is causing a lot of harm. And as in a memory-based system, a memory-based educational system, we teach the classics. We can't teach every variant. And we expect the students when they become residents and then doctors to be able to generalize from that teaching of the classic. And that's not easy. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my aha moment that we needed technology to address the variation of the common. And we started in dermatology, but we, we realized that there's such a broad spectrum of disease presentation. And, you know, now uh, COVID is certainly is, is the great imitator replacing syphilis. I mean, it's pretty much COVID could have almost any symptom. It's unbelievable the range of presentations it has. And so we, we need to think about how we have those right tools to lead to the right decisions. And, and the decisions aren't only diagnosis, the decisions are treatment. What's the ideal treatment given the uniqueness of this human being? Or how do I help my patient understand what I'm talking about instead of shooting Latin words at them? And then they hit, they hit the parking lot and they're like, what did that doctor say to me? <laughs> and so we, we landed on a solution for visualization of information in the exam room. And we've created these graphics and the pictures are used frequently by our users to communicate with patients. So an example of this in this um, really time pressured world is, you know, doctors will say to their patient, like take a family doc, this is a story from one of our users, a patient came in and had skin rash and the doctor says, you have poison ivy. And the patient said, no, I don't. And the doctor said, well, why are you saying that? Well, I spent two hours on Google and WebMD last night and there's no way that poison ivy can cause such large blisters because that's not what I saw. And so they bring up images in Visual DX of large blisters and poison ivy and they pivot the monitor to the screen. And literally the patient said to this doctor, well, I didn't see those pictures on the internet. And the doctor says, well, this is not a free tool. This is a professional decision system that we use in medicine. And the, the patient was impressed that the doctor had something developed at that professional level. So patients, you know, we know that patients are on the internet and they don't trust the doctor because they have a diploma on the wall and they say, trust me, especially when the doctor only has a minute or two. So being able to to use imagery in the exam room to teach your patient and do that, um, say the patient's African-American, instead of showing them a picture of that disease in white skin, you're showing that picture that looks exactly like them. In that kind of teaching, it develops real trust and higher scores in terms of what the patients are saying about the doctors. Like this doctor really listened to me. This doctor gave me some useful information. Well, give us an idea then if when you work with a practice, you can actually use a a, a case study if you want to, but if... um if a practice implements visual DX, what's that learning curve for the staff, for the clinician, whoever it might be? And then what does that look like? You've given us some examples already uh, with patients, but if you can kind of give us that journey, if 
one of our listeners right here were, were to uh, implement Visual DX next week or at the beginning of the next year, what would that journey look like? Well, you know, not all clinicians are created equal. And so, <laughs> if you again, the, the aviation metaphor, I'm pretty sure if you fly a 737 for United or Southwest, you fly the, the plane exactly the same way and you talk to that tower exactly the same way. But in medicine, there's a huge spectrum of attitudes, beliefs, behaviors in the exam room across professionals. So you have some clinicians that will take information technology, grab that app out of your hand and be using it fluidly in, in a minute. And then there are other clinicians that really need training and really need a lot of help. And so for our enterprise sites, we do a lot of client support, a lot of training, and it takes time. Like the expectation shouldn't be, oh, I just send an email to busy doctors and they pay attention. You really have to spend time showing doctors how a tool can help them um, be more efficient and more accurate at the same time. And, and, you know, there's a lot of cynicism. Doctors have been hit with a lot of digital bureaucracy. A lot of what goes on in the EHR is not for patient care, it's for billing. So there is, there's also that distrust in the system where, you know, busy clinicians really don't believe that they're going to be handed something useful. So we do a lot of change management work and a lot of support to, to grow awareness of how these tools can can really help you. And patients are change agents too. So we've created tools for patients and, and the, the patients will come in actually and say, I used this resource on the internet. It was really helpful. So, you know, you do something long enough and you do something serious enough, you can really have change. And um, that's what we do. I mean, we're just a really a different health IT company. We're not you know, a bunch of 28-year-olds that say we're going to disrupt healthcare. <laughs> I don't really know what disrupting healthcare means. And we're going to have a unicorn in next year, right? Medicine is tough. I mean, medicine would have been fixed a long time ago by technologists if it was just a technology problem. Medicine is not just a technology problem. And it has to do with the ambiguity of medicine. We just don't know. And so how do you create technology tools to handle ambiguity and uncertainty? And so it really takes the involvement of doctors in a company to work with engineers, to work with usability experts, to figure out how to develop technology that's actually impactful for patients. I wanna unpack a couple of things you've said, cause I want, there's some different kind of topic areas that you've brought up that I want to connect these dots. And a couple of them are uh, the tools that can be used. The Visual DX tool is one of them. There are other tools out there in other aspects of healthcare. Um, but you also mentioned trust. And you mentioned during the pandemic, you know, the issues uh, with trust. Um, we've seen that. We've seen that uh, in research. We've seen it uh, in just the real world examples of what's taking place out there. So I want to get you to share some ideas that you found success with, with Visual DX, where you've, one, gained the trust of 
the practice, because I'm sure they have a lot of different companies out there trying to talk to them about different tools, what works, what doesn't, but then how do they translate that to the patient where, how do you gain that patient trust as well? Because it does seem like I'm frustrated with it. I don't know if you're frustrated at times, but with all the misinformation uh, that is out there, like you were just giving the example of a patient who could go out on Google and do some searches and feel like they've already sort of self-diagnosed. And uh, sometimes they've gone down a completely different road and they've, they've, they've certainly confused the situation for themselves and, and maybe for a family member. So how do you build that trust? Because that is just vital right now to gain trust of both the staff and those patients. Well, that's, that's a great question. And, and um, trust is really important. And there are scenarios where patients have developed symptoms or been given treatments that haven't helped them that, or the diagnosis is incorrect and they went to the internet and they figured it out and their clinician failed them. So that happens too. It's, mm -hmm. it, it happens in both directions. Um, and it's happening, I think, because, you know, a lot of patients don't have a personal relationship with a long, steady primary care physician. You know, they're just, they're just going to urgent care or they're going to the emergency department where, a busy clinician is looking through a keyhole at a life. Like how can a clinician really know the full richness of, of your problems through a keyhole? I mean, they really, there's so much pressure on these clinicians. And, and then when the clinician only spends a minute or two and doesn't really listen well, there's a real loss of trust. And it's going on um, not to blame the doctors because the doctors are put under this incredible pressure by the institutions that are saying, see more, do more in less time. And then there's a lot of pressure from the patients. And so to develop trust, there, there really needs to be great communication and great listening, right? I mean, technology in itself is not solving the problem in entirety, right? You need a human, a, a professional to listen carefully, but then to to show the patient, as an example, your primary care clinician or you're an ER doctor, and they, they have a much harder job than I do as a dermatologist. I mean, I, I specialize, but there are 50% of medicine is handled by generalists. So you have internal medicine physicians, pediatricians, family physicians, emergency physicians, urgent care, hospitalists. These people can see any symptom across all body systems. And we're expecting them to handle any complaint a patient has. And that, that is a godlike task to do that, to handle adequately any, any complaint a patient has across medicine. And so that patient now who's on Google, who spends two hours before the visit, then sees that generalist just spend one minute with them that's going to be a voltage drop, a severe voltage drop. But when that patient has that clinician says, you know, I'm not sure, let's look that up together and see if your concern about the statin I just prescribed to you for your high cholesterol is causing that other symptom. 
let's check that together in this professional tool. And they do that in 30 seconds. And the patient now sees the, the doctor responding like, let's check that together. I have a professional database to make sure that the drug's not causing your symptom. And then that builds trust because now the patient has physically with their own eyes seen and listened to this doctor show caring, let's look it up and use tools and admit I can't memorize it. And so that, that reflexive like, no, that drug doesn't cause the problem. Well, you might know the drug doesn't cause the problem, but the patient doesn't know that you really know. So if you spend that 15 seconds, and literally these searches can take 15 seconds to show the information, how you came to the conclusion to the patient, will save you on the other side 20 minutes of distrust of, of the patient arguing with you. Okay. Um, in the last few minutes we have here, I wanted to uh, just let you share any additional information or resources about Visual DX, if there's anywhere you could point our listeners to go to if they're, they're interested in more of this information? Well, I, I appreciate your listeners are really with health systems. Mm -hmm. And we have at visualdx.com um, a page under, under solutions there on, on hospitals and health systems. Or if somebody's an academic site, they can read about medical education aspects of Visual DX at our website. And there are YouTube videos and there's tremendous resources there. I, th I think the important point for your listeners is this engagement in this time of burnt out physicians with giving back resources to busy doctors that will make the doctors practice more efficiently, more accurately, and reduce risk for the hospital. We, we have um, CMA for each search. So we do what's called point of care, continuing medical education. So the idea that you search information on your patient, that stickier learning than sitting passively, um, sitting passively in a classroom. And so you get CME credit. And if you're in a state that has a requirement for risk CME, we're also accredited for risk CME. So there's, there's a real connection here between not only operational efficiency when your emergency departments are overcrowded and patients are boarding in the hallway, the efficiency of making sure that you're not admitting a patient who doesn't need to be admitted, which happens way too often. You know, we have patients that wrongfully get admitted. Um, so there are efficiencies there, but there's also this idea of reducing risk. And that there's a lot of attention now at the policy level on diagnostic error um, causing real harm to people, you know, like missed sepsis or missed uh, other diseases that involve real harm to people. And so if, if, if your administrators are really concerned about patients I'd argue that you have to invest in quality and information tools for that clinical decision-making in the exam room. And, you know, visualdx.com is where you find more information. And um, we, we're pleased to answer any questions. All right. Well, Dr. Papir, it's been a, a pleasure having you join the MGMA Insights podcast and for sharing your story and the story of Visual DX. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Thanks so much for having us. Really a pleasure. Have a great day. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Art Papier, co-founder and CEO at Visual DX. And also thanks to MGMA Emerald Card for sponsoring this week's show. The Emerald Card is the premier card built specifically for medical practice owners. With 1.5% cash back, paid MGMA dues bonus, no impact on personal credit and vendor rebates, it's tailor-made to medical practices. So what are you waiting for? Go to about.mgma.cards to get started today. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation or suggest experts for us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at mgma daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening.